So we have um, we have been in a conversation the last several weeks, and we're wrapping it up today, talking about peace. Uh, the reason for that is that we live in a world that is chaotic and troubled, and sometimes violent, and we want to know where we can find peace. And if you don't trust me, there's someone that you care about who does want to know where they can find peace. So that's the that's the topic we've been looking at. Where do we find peace in a troubled world? And what does our faith tell us about where we can find faith? How we can have um, how we can have peace? Excuse me. Where where do we find peace in this world? And um, what we've been what we've been learning is that um, the that that the the peace that that we have the 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 peace that we have is is something that has come from God. That that's the peace that that Christianity is um, is speaking about. The, the peace that comes from God. God gave us His peace when Jesus came, and in His life and His death and resurrection, He ended the hostility that uh, people have had with God. So He put an end to that hostility. So we don't have to be afraid of God. We don't have to see God as a judge or a tyrant who is just trying to to um, harm us somehow. He ended that hostility. He also ended the hostility between people and God so that we can um, get along with other people in a way that we couldn't before he uh, he came to to reconcile people to each other so so those are the things that we've been learning as we've gone along and the the problem that we saw that we talked about last week is sometimes we can't sometimes with the best of intentions, however hard we try, we cannot be at peace with different people. Um, and there's lots of reasons why that can happen. I've got a family member who was estranged from her brother, and um, she, after a long, uh, many, many decades, she wanted to reconcile with her brother, and so she contacted him and found out he had died the previous year. Sometimes we cannot reconcile with other people because of the circumstances of our life, because of the, their their position that they are hurt or they are angry or whatever it is, uh, they are unwilling to to accept our peace. And sometimes it's because we're not as good at making peace as Jesus, that, that we still have to grow a long way before we can become Christ-like in the area of offering peace. So there's lots of reasons why we may not be able to bring our peace into a situation. But, but that's what we're called to do. We're called to separate when we have to, but then to go the extra mile so that there is a possibility someday that the, we might be able to reconcile with them, if if possible. And yet we know that sometimes it isn't possible. Sometimes it doesn't happen. We weren't able to to do it in the time that we had, or for whatever reason, we aren't able to make that peace. And so when we are alienated, when we're alienated from other people... Jesus calls us to go out and take our peace into the world, to to be um, outposts of God's peace in the world, not to impose it on other people, but as ambassadors, as as islands of peace in a chaotic world. So that's what we're called to do as Christians, and um, the the hope is that we will be able there that way to overcome evil with good, not by not by. Uh, coming coming at it from the same position as the world does, but coming at it as a Christians, overcoming evil with good. So that's that's all the the background we've come to. But we we remember, as we saw last week, sometimes it doesn't work. We aren't able to attain that peace. So the question then is, what do we do then? What do we do in the face 
of our inability to make peace. What, what do we have to say about peace in that circumstance? Well, we're going to look at a story today from the Bible where uh, um, the prophet Ezekiel is talking about a similar situation or a, a comparable situation maybe. Um, and uh, it, was, uh, it took place about 600 B.C., but the problem actually had gone back for centuries. So, so <laughs> Ezekiel was ministering in the Holy Land about 600 B.C., but the problem went back almost to 1,000 B.C. And the problem is that the, the um, Holy Land had been divided uh, among the different people who lived there. But let me just, uh, I, I work better with pictures. So, so this is the area we're going to be looking at, the, the Mediterranean, and then uh, particularly the area there in the, in the Middle East. And there, were, there was one country, there was one country which was the Kingdom of Israel, and it had three kings. It had Saul, uh, David, and Solomon. And when Solomon's son uh, came to the throne, he was not a good king. Uh, he was not. He was inept. And very quickly, the bulk of the country said, "We don't want this guy to be our king anymore." So uh, what happened is the country split up into two parts. So the nation of Israel in the north, and the nation of uh, uh, Judah in the south. So. Israel, sometimes called Ephraim, because that's the the region that it was centered around. The biggest part of Israel was was this uh, region called Ephraim, and Judah um, centered around Jerusalem. And in fact, actually, this is the place at which we start talking about Jews. Up until this point, we talk about Israelites or Hebrews because um, because there was no nation of Judah. So the the word Jew comes from from uh, Judah. And this is the point at which we can start talking about Jews. So there are two nations, and the hope, at least at first, is that somehow they will reunite. That yes, they're split apart now, but in God's God's economy, maybe with with uh, uh, if we work at it, we can somehow reunite these two kingdoms. But it never happens. For centuries go by, and finally, the hope is crushed when when Israel is conquered by its northern neighbor, Assyria. So Israel is incorporated into the uh, the nation, uh, the, the Assyrian Empire. And at that point, uh, there's no more hope of, of any kind of reunification because there is no more Israel. And not only that, the Assyrians deported a great number of the people from Israel across their empire. They would do that because, you know, then you're a foreigner someplace, you, you, you are weakened, you're less of a threat to them if, if they've dispersed people away from their ancestral uh, homes. And then they repopulated with people from elsewhere in their empire. So there is no more Israel to reunite with. So Israel's been conquered, and there aren't even any, or there's, there's some Israelites there, but not as, you know, the bulk of them are elsewhere. So, so that's the situation. So there's no more hope of them ever being reunited. And honestly, for the next century or two, nobody in the southern kingdom really cared about it much because, because first of all, it was futile. There was no, no Israel to reunite with. And secondly, because they were worried about becoming gobbled up by Assyria um, themselves. So, so they spend the next century and change um, trying to figure out how do we avoid Assyria conquering us or, or um, Egypt. Uh, our neighbor to the south. How do we wind up? How do we avoid winding up as just a, a pawn in this geopolitical game that's going on? So that's the that's where they are for the next century. And then finally, about 600 BC, they are conquered not by Assyria, but Assyria is conquered, and um, by, by its neighbor Babylon. And then Babylon is now a strong enough to be able to 
take over Judah. So that's the end of it. And that's the place where we pick up the story in Ezekiel's prophecy. So God speaks to uh, the people. Some of them have been deported off to Babylon because, again, that's the, what empires would typically do. They would deport people away from their home countries. And so he's speaking to them and he's speaking to the remnant that's left behind in um, in Judah. So he says to them, he says to them, you know, it, the, the question in their mind is, okay, we couldn't make peace. We had an opportunity. We had a couple of centuries. We were unable to make peace. We were never able to reunite with our uh, our kinfolk, our, our northern neighbors. And what do we do now? What do we do now? What good does it do to be people of peace? So that's the question that they're asking. And speaking through Ezekiel, God says this. He says, you human one, take a stick and write on it, belonging to Judah and to the Israelites associated with him. Take another stick and write on it, stick of Ephraim, belonging to Joseph and everyone of the house of Israel associated with him. So two sticks, one for the southern kingdom, one for the northern kingdom. Just just do that. Make make these two sticks. So I have I don't have sticks. I've got rulers. So so a stick that says Ephraim and a stick that says Judah. He says, take these two sticks and join them to each other um, to make a single stick so they become one stick in your hand. Now I don't know what what Ezekiel did, but here's the way I picture it, right? You know, how many sticks am I holding, right? You know, and you know, you can't tell, right? It's you know, it's the secret. So, um, so that's my guess of what he's doing. And the uh, the the people, um, God knows that this will not be clear to the people. So he says, when your people ask you, not if, but but um, when your people ask you, uh, why won't you tell us what these sticks mean to you? <laughs> because they're going to ask them or tell them. Uh, the Lord God proclaims, "I'm taking Joseph's stick. That's the uh, that's." I have to remember this, the green stick. So Ephraim, the green stick, the, the stick belonging to Joseph um, and uh, Ephraim, the, the tribes of Israel associated with him. So the northern kingdom, I'm taking that and I'm putting it with Judah's stick and I'm making them into a single stick so there'll be one stick in my hand. So God is saying, what Ezekiel just did with sticks, I'm going to do with kingdoms. That's what God is telling them. He says, when the two sticks that you've ridden on are in are in your hand, in their sight, speak to them. This is what the Lord God says. I will take the Israelites. Actually, you know, let me just pause here. God makes this long list of promises here. Off the top of my head, I don't know of any place else in the Bible where God makes so many promises in such quick succession. So, you know, I'm not going to count them, but there's a lot here. So, so watch how many things God promises to do. He says, I will take the Israelites from among the nations where they've gone. So they've been scattered. They're all over the place. They're all the way up to Babylon and who knows where else. So they're all over. He says, I'll find them. I'll take them from the nations where they've gone. I will gather them from all around and I will bring them to their fertile land. I'll bring them back to the place from which they have been deported. He says, and not just that, I won't just bring it back to the place it was in 722. I will make them into a single nation again. I will bring it back to before the split occurred. I will reunite them into a single nation in the land on Israel's highlands. There'll be just one king for them, no longer two kingdoms, one kingdom. He says there'll no longer be two nations. They'll no longer be divided into two nations. He says they'll no longer defile themselves with their idols and their worthless things and any of their rebellions. 
that, you know, even before they were taken off, but especially since they've been taken off for, for, you know, uh, decades or even centuries, they're, they've been scattered among the nations. They picked up the, the, the habits of the nations. And even that was on top of the way that they had behaved beforehand. God said, I'm going to change them. The things that, that, the things that are wrong with them, the way that they, that, that sin is working itself out in their lives, I'm going to heal that. He says, I will deliver them from all the places where they sin. So the, the nations where they've been engaged in the practices of those nations. And I will cleanse them. I will change them. I will make them different people. The prophet Jeremiah writing about the same time says, I'll give them a new heart. God promises to cleanse them. He says, and then they will be my people again. And I will be their God. He says, my servant David will be king over them. David, this, this, the, the king before Solomon, the one under whose rule Israel had been united, the, the kind of the, the prototypical king of Israel, the one that people looked back and said, if only we could go back to that. God says, I will give you a David. I will give you a David and you will be united under him. There will be just one shepherd for all of them. And because I have cleansed them, because I have made them into different people, they will no longer have trouble. They will follow my case laws and carefully observe my regulations. So that's the promise that God has made. And what we know historically is it never happened. So it just didn't happen. The, the, the northern kingdoms were dispersed. Uh, the people of the northern kingdom were dispersed. Uh, there, sometimes you hear people talk about the lost tribes of Israel. That's who the northern kingdom was. The, the other tribe, the, the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, they were, um, eventually, they were able to leave Babylon, and many of them came back to Judah. And so the, the nation of Israel was restored, but never the way that God is promising here. It is never, it had never been restored to this point. So we might say, well, well, you know, how come? And the answer is because God's talking about a much bigger kind of thing than they might have thought of. They might have just thought, let's go back to the way it was under David. But God's saying, no, 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 no. I want to do something bigger than that. He says, they will live in the land that I gave my servant Jacob when their ancestors lived, or where their ancestors lived. They will live on, on it there and their children and their grandchildren forever. They will be there forever. And my servant David will be their prince forever. This is, this is some eternal promise that this is no longer, we're not talking about what will happen, uh, you know, for a couple of decades when they return, you know, as they kind of try to rebuild their lives. We're now talking about a whole different way of looking at what God is doing. He says, I'll make a covenant of peace with them, and it will be a covenant forever. I'll grant it to them and allow them to increase, and I'll set my sanctuary among them forever. One of the things that the Jews discovered when they returned from their, their captivity in Babylon, when they got back to Judah, they discovered that the temple had been destroyed, and then they built a new one, and it was compared to the old one. It was kind of a dump, and so people who knew both People who were old enough to remember the first one, they cried when they saw how bad the temple, how, how far it had fallen. So he's saying, I will build my sanctuary among them forever. I will set my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling with will be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. He's saying, he's saying, I'm going to do so much that you will not believe it. I'm going to basically unwind everything that has gone wrong since the garden. Since, since Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, all the things that have gone wrong in this world... I'm going to undo them. My dwelling will be with them. I will live with them. They will be, I will be right there among them in a way that I haven't been since 
they were expelled from the garden. God says, I am undoing everything that has gone wrong. And this may, this may, uh, remind uh, Christians of the promises we hear that are basically echoes of this in, in the book of Revelation. The, the seer John on the island of Patmos, he has this vision and he says in it, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling is here with humankind. He's not far away. He's not off in heaven someplace. He's right there. He's right there among us. He will dwell with them and they will be his peoples. God himself will dwell with them as their God. And because this is more than any ordinary earthly kingdom, he says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. There will be no more mourning, crying, or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So this is this is the picture that Ezekiel is painting, not just the reunification of two earthly kingdoms, but a great a great undoing of all that has gone wrong with the world since the fall. And if you are of the tribe of the people of Abraham, if you are a descendant of Abraham, and I know some of us are, um, then that's good news for you. But what about the rest of us? Most of us are not um, uh, Jews by by ancestry. So the question for us is: Does this is this just FYI? Does this affect us in any way? And the answer is yes, it does. It does affect us because um, Ezekiel goes on. He says the nations, the surrounding nations, everybody who's not a Jew, everybody who's not an Israelite. Everybody who's not from the the children of Abraham, the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy. They will now know God in a way that they have not ever known. You know, we've always just been those weirdos with one God, you know, and and, um, uh, the, the Gentiles are like, well, why do you only have one? And he's saying, no, they will actually understand now finally the one God. So the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. This is, this is what the Apostle Paul draws on. This picture of the, the, the thing that God is doing through the Jews going out from them into the Gentile world. When he, when he writes the letter to the Ephesians, he says, Christ is our peace. He made both Jews, people like Paul, and Gentiles, people like the Ephesians, into one group with his body. He broke down the barrier of hatred that divided us. And in the letter to the Romans, he says explicitly, and you qualify, even though you are not uh, a Jew by birth, that you, your ancestry is not, is not Abrahamic. He says, you were a wild olive branch and you were grafted in among the other branches. This is the place where Gentiles fit into the story of God's people. That we are, we are, um, we are grafted into the tree, the family tree of Abraham. So that is the picture that is that is being drawn here. God undoes everything that is wrong with creation, everything that is that has gone wrong between people, between people and God, between people and each other, and even with creation itself. God is undoing everything that has gone wrong. There will be no more dying or crying, mourning or tears. And so this is... This is the background against which we are called to be peacemakers. Because sometimes we can't. Sometimes it won't work. It's too late. They're, they're gone now. There's no possibility of ever reconciling with them. Or they just rejected it. You know, you reached out and they rejected it. Or maybe you weren't very good at reaching out. And it, it never comes. That we are called to be peacemakers anyway because it is a witness to what God is doing. 
it is a sign that points to the greater peace that God is at work on. That every act of peacemaking we engage in is a pointer to what God is doing. And that when people see us making peace, they understand better what God is doing. So it doesn't depend on us. It involves us. It includes us. But the success of God's project does not depend on us. It's something that God is doing. And our role is to point to the great thing that God is doing to reconcile people to himself, to reconcile the nations one to another, and to reconcile creation. This is why we work for peace. Let us pray. Father in heaven, um, we can be discouraged because we are not good at making peace. We can be discouraged because we are too late and the opportunity is no longer available. We thank you, Lord, for the reminder that ultimately it is not up to us. We have a role. Our role is to point to the big thing that you are doing. So we pray with saints down through the ages that Jesus would come quickly and finish the work that is promised so so grandly in this prophecy of Ezekiel. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.